You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. Friends, I am super excited for you to hear today's episode. We have a great friend of mine, Jennifer Ives Grimson, who is the host of the Micro Empires podcast, fellow real estate investor, and honestly owns the mantra that you don't have to be wealthy to build wealth. This amazing woman has lost everything and built back not once, but twice. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. I am joined today with Jennifer Grimson. She's a great friend and investor partner and has one of the most amazing stories I think I've ever heard. She is a single mother who has lost everything not once, but twice. She has rebuilt twice, but rebuilt to $1.4 in income producing investments with W-2 and a little bit of grit or a lot of bit of grit. We'll let her tell us. And my favorite thing about her is she is an advocate for the notion that you don't have to be wealthy to build wealth. Without further ado, Jennifer, how are you doing, dear? I'm doing well. How are you? Pleasure to have you on the show. I'm uh, happy to finally be able to return the favor from being on your show, you know, weeks yes. and weeks ago, but yes. I think your interview is going to be much better than mine because I'm excited to <laughs> let the audience hear your story. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, Jim, what I'd love to do is maybe spend a couple of minutes and I'd love to hear your story, right? And I don't think there's any question I can ask that will let you tell it better. So without further ado, I'd love to just hear how you lost everything twice and what you learned from it. <laughs> really? How does how does somebody do that? Not once, but twice. So yes, I lost everything twice, which means for me meant no car, no job, no place to live, no money, chapter 13 bankruptcy, and two children to raise. And my mistakes... You know, I say this in my show, it, it doesn't actually matter how you get there, but I always share how I got there. My mistakes weren't that I spent a lot of money, had expensive clothes, big house. It's that my mistakes were relational. So I have an ex-husband, my first husband, who sued me 25 times in 10 years. I racked up over $500,000 in attorney's fees. And truly the second time is also due to that but I had also entered into another relationship where I had turned my financial well-being over to someone else. So when I say it's relational, it's because I didn't do, I didn't protect me and I abandoned myself, which I talk about a lot. And that's really important for anybody to know, but I think especially women, because women, you typically will take on the, you know, the parenting role, the nurturing role and may or may not. I mean, statistically, they don't have as much say in the finances, although they should, because they outperform men by 40%. So I love that. And you know what, my company, I think I'm one of two guys in it, right? So we, we buy into yes. that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And women are slower to invest, but are higher performers in investing. So anyway, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. That's how it happened. And that's how I ended up there. I love it. And so that had to have taught you a thing or two about financial literacy along the way, right? Can you go into that a little bit? It had to have, right? <laughs> yeah, I think my journey, like financial literacy isn't even a phrase or a slogan that I knew probably until the last 10 years. And I probably didn't even know it till halfway through my own education in it. Yes, it, the first thing it taught me, and when I the second time, I just knew that I had to build small empires. That's why my show is called Micro Empires for my own security, because I knew I could get a corporate job. I had a corporate job, always did usually. And I knew that I could earn over six figures, but I also knew that that could be taken away. And that if that is all you have, that it could still devastate you. 
So I knew I was going to get a corporate job, but I knew that there are other ways to make money and have my money make money, but I didn't know how to do that. And that is the process that I began to learn. And honestly, I just did this today in another interview. You know, the second time that I landed there, I was 41 years old. I was 44 before I rebuilt my credit. So really it was 44 to 47, 48 that I built up that 1.4 million. That's a pretty short period of time. Yeah. But the reason I talk about it is because I didn't come into a big bunch of money. I just manipulated the tools that I have that most people have access to, but we don't know about how to manipulate them. So I had to learn to do that. And it was in short order and it can be in short order. I think, especially if you have a W2, to be frank. So yeah. I love what you said. I mean, I, I used to tell people when I was working in corporate America, you think you're secure, you're only ever two weeks away from termination. And if you're living, you know, if that's your only stream of income, that could be financial ruin is only ever two weeks away. Right. Yes. And I see it every day with people that I consult with. Yeah. You know, my resume is up to date to this day. It will be up to date until the day I go in the ground. <laughs> and my and my network is growing every single day and I never stop. And that is what will save you. So, you know, I love corporate America. It did well by me, but you can't rely on one thing ever. No, you cannot. You cannot. So Jen, I'd love to hear about your money culture growing up. And that's something you talk about a lot on your show, Micro Empires, and why it's important to know what it is. Can you unpack that a little bit? So yes, money culture is a big thing that I talk about. I ask every guest. So I've never been asked that question before, although I- I know, it's fun being on the other side. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I wrote a blog about it, which hasn't been published yet, but it will be. And it was really telling. And I understand now why guests struggle with this. So my money culture is I was raised by two people who came from Boston. I'm from Boston area-ish, who grew up very poor, although they wouldn't consider that. They were each one of, you know, in large families. They worked very hard. They experienced the depression and, you know, went into this military service. Both of them did. My mother went to secretarial school. My father went to the military but it was just work hard, work hard, save, 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 save. And my dad was parking cars and getting a college degree. And my mother had three children in three years because she had my sister and twins the year after. So basically like having triplets. And then quickly thereafter, the rest of us came. There's six of us. So my folks, I grew up in a family where my dad was an engineer. So even though I grew up in a fairly, I would consider it a blue collar town, although now it's much more white collar. My dad was a white collar worker in engineering, which was, you know, not what I was watching other kids have, but we lived a lifestyle of frugality. I never wanted for anything, but I also never asked for anything. And when I was 12, I started babysitting and found out I had a really good knack for that and turned that into a little business. And, you know, I see wow. this in the string with my guests now and I'm like, oh, I did it too. I realized I was babysitting for this family. Probably I was 13, 14, something like that at this point. And I realized it's not harder to watch four kids or six kids as it is to watch two kids. If, you know, you line them all because I came from a big family. So everybody gets a snack. Everybody's got to do their homework. Everybody's got to get a bath. So I started now I started doing that. I said, I'll go to one person's house. Everybody send me your kids. Instead of a dollar an hour, I got $6 an hour. Wow. That was a lot of money for me. And then I quickly got into the restaurant business and did every job there. Ended up working 40 hours a week while in high school because I loved working and I loved money. I loved having the freedom of money. And I graduated from high school early because I never 
you know, big shock, five foot 11, red, red hair. I didn't get asked out on a lot of dates, you know, <laughs> didn't, wasn't like super popular in high school. I was ready to be gone. So that was my money culture growing up, but definitely I didn't fear. We weren't poor. I never thought we were poor. None of that, but just this never use a credit card. Credit is bad. You have to work very, very hard be conservative, save everything. So that's kind of how I grew up. And, but it didn't still, well, I think my fear came when I married my first boyfriend, right. no shock. <laughs> and I met him, I was 21 and he was 30 and he had, I call it financial chaos. I moved into financial chaos. So someone who did not share my money culture at all, I was busy eating rice to survive. And he was busy running the credit card up to 20 grand. And that was just one of our problems, but but that was that's an insurmountable problem if you can't sit down and, and work that kind of thing out. That really is. And and I guess what I love about that story you just told is you figured out economies of scale on your own, right? Going back to the babysitting thing without being taught. <laughs> you know, right. it, it wasn't until later that you discovered, okay, maybe, maybe hoarding cash is not what I need to do. I need to be investing it, you know. But you also walked into utter chaos, probably not knowing any better, right? Oh yeah. Money was not. Well, and it's interesting. I think back now after all the money conversations that I have today, and I remember talking to my mom when I was like 17 and saying, well, what was it about dad that you married him? And she said, well, you know, I thought, you know, a list of things, but then one of them was, I thought he'd be a good provider. And I remember at the time thinking, well, that's stupid. I mean, you should be on your own and whatever. And from a feminist point of view, I get that notion. I'm still that 17 year old at heart. But the truth is, that's part of love. That's part of partnership. You do want to partner with somebody who wants to provide for you. That should go both ways. You don't want to partner with somebody who thinks about themselves first. Yeah. And especially if you ever want to have children and a family, I mean, it it goes around. You, you got to lob the ball back and forth. You got to help each other. And that's not who I married into, but it was the least of my worries in that marriage. But it was part of the chaos and just the unhealthiness, the sickness, because money can be used to abuse, to withhold, to trap. And when you have your own money, or at least understand it, you always have a way out. You know, that is a beautiful segue to what I was trying to get out earlier on a follow-up question to your previous <laughs> discussion. So speaking of getting out, you know, you talked about how you manipulate the tools that are available to you that most people have access to and don't know how to manipulate. I've also played this game a little bit. I'd love to hear your take on that and you know, specifically what tools you manipulated and how others might do the same. Yeah. So I had, like most people, put into a 401k. The second time I was rebuilding, I had a 401k and my ex had actually liquidated it, unbeknownst to me. Long story, listen to episode three and you can find out all about it if you want to know. But so when I started working again, in the corporate America, the first thing I wanted to do was to double down on my 401k or just to max it out. And I don't think I even really understood necessarily what I was doing. But somewhere along the way, after I purchased my home, after I joined the real estate investment group, I started to hear, I'm not really sure how I heard the first rumblings of this, but someone somehow I learned that you could borrow against a 401k. And when I say this to this day, even if I say it seven or eight times, people think I mean cash it out, you know, liquidate, whatever. And that's when you hit your taxes and your penalties. If you are a corporate employee, you can call up your 401k and you could say, I would like to borrow. And they, depending on the 401k holder, 
may allow that or not. And there's a percentage of it that you can take. Mine was $22,000. And I always share all my numbers because it frustrates me when people come on shows and they're like, you're supposed to magically guess you know, what they've got or what they did. It makes it relatable though, right? That's, a, that's not a huge amount of money. Most of us probably have some access to that. Right. right. And when you, yeah. I think, especially when like, even my story, I have, I had $1.4 million of income producing investments. I say that I didn't have a million dollars. I also had $800,000 of debt, You're right. but they were, they, they all had jobs. All those houses had jobs. But anyway, I called my 401k. I could borrow without penalty or tax. $22,000. First thing I did was I paid off my car. And the second thing I did was I paid off some debt that I had. Then you pay yourself back with a small interest rate, usually about 4% through your paycheck. So it's a tiny amount and you're paying yourself by the way. So that was painless coming out of my paycheck. Didn't even notice it. Once I paid it back, I did it again. And I bought a second house with 3% down. I didn't know that I could buy a house with 3% down, but if you have good credit, you can. And if you make it your primary residence. So I bought that house with 11,000, borrowed the 22. Cause when, when you call up and you say, how much can I have? Whatever that number is, say, yes, please. That's my, my advice. And I bought a second house with 11,000 down, moved into it, used the other money to furnish it, got it up and running on Airbnb, put it out there, borrowed the money again, and did it a third time. So that's how I manipulated that. The second really powerful 401k thing that I learned was when I met our friend, Mike Todd, who's been on my show. And he came to talk to the investors group about this thing called a self-directed IRA. And I was not the only one in the audience going, you know, with my hand up, waving in the background going, wait a minute, are you telling me I can invest in real estate with my 401k without taxes or penalty? I need more of this. And this is the thing that I like people to understand. It's hard to ask questions when you feel like, you know, maybe you're the only one who doesn't know, but number one, who cares? But number two, I partner with people and you're a good example of this who are willing. I partner with people who look like me, my finger quotes, and that means hungry, interested, learning, et cetera. Mike Todd met with me probably three or four times. At that time, I had $150,000 in my 401k. But in order for me to get it out, I would have to quit that job. So I went to him three or four times and said, explain it to me again, because I don't get it. And he had the patience to do it over and over and over again. And that's why when I did quit my job, I took that money, put it into that vehicle, and it still sits there today. And I do investments. I'm trying to think if it part, part of it might be in the investment with you. I'm not sure. <laughs> but you know that is just a way to grow wealth. And to have control. And I, it also is what purchased my portion of third home, which is how we're able to travel yeah. the world in luxury. So, yeah. You know what I love about that as well, Jen, is that that's a, a second major financial thing you just kind of figured out is velocity of money. Like, let, let me go borrow this $22,000, buy this asset, right? Put some, put some income producing debt on it, right? Right furnish it, rent it out, get it making money, pay it down. Well, now that money's back. I have that, you have that money back to use again and you did it again and again, right? Mm -hmm. So not, you figured out economies of scale and velocity of money pretty much all on your own with the help of some experts along the way to use the tools. So it, it really is truly amazing that, you know, most of the tools that many of us use to get started and really start taking the reins on our financial future we all have access to, right? That we, right. we have been set up at least through conventional wisdom to have these things. We just have to learn how to 
how to look at it as a screwdriver instead of a hammer or something like that, you know? Yeah. And and you know what, when you bullet point my story, it sounds so much better, like, you know, economies of scale and velocity of money, all that good stuff. So I got to write that down. I I think- Charge you small royalties. Exactly. (laughs) And I think the other thing is it's okay to keep asking, keep asking if you don't understand. So cost segregation. So you and I both know what that is. You and I have both deployed that tool. Yes. Huge financial benefit tool for people in multifamily, self-storage, et cetera. Didn't know about it till a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Went to a conference, learned about it. And I was like, stepped in what? And called three different people, had them all explain it to me. Went with the person who made me feel the best about it. A huge financial gain. Now, when I talk to people about cost segregation. I've heard this three times this week. They say, well, I've talked to my CPA about it and he says it's really not worth it. I think you were on a Facebook string with me actually recently or, or an email string where this happened. Mm-hmm. It's really not worth it. You know, it's this, that. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to be blunt. Fire his ass, <laughs> find <laughs> another one. But, and I, you know, again, you don't have to fire people, but I do think that's part of surrounding yourself with people who look like you. So mm-hmm. if my CPA says, no, it can't be done and I'm getting other information, I expect that professional to go out and to learn it if they want to keep me as a customer. Yes. So I found a CPA who looks like me. He invests, he understands it. And what I love about him is if he doesn't understand it, which has happened a lot, like we talk about, now I'm going to blank on at the sales trust. Yeah, the first sales, sales trust. Mm-hmm. I go to him and I'm like, this is what I heard because I'm an inch deep and a mile wide, which I have gotten flack for my entire life, but you got to go where your strengths are. So I, I learned just enough and I go to an expert and I'm like, I really expect you to go find this out and understand it for me. So I don't, I, I guess I don't know where I'm heading with this, but I, I see that with the, if people are listening to us talk and they are hearing all these words, it's really intimidating. And the most important thing is just don't be overwhelmed by it. And if somebody's trying to overwhelm you, you're talking to the wrong person. That is absolutely true. And you know what? Never be afraid to be an inch deep and a mile wide, right? Because go look at, you know, Elon Musk or any of these really notable entrepreneurs, right? They have no idea what engineer and 3B is doing, right? Nor do they care. Mm-hmm. They're looking at the big picture and they pay people, you know, professionals or employees or whatever to handle the details in every little pillar of a situation, right? Yeah. So there was nothing wrong with that. And honestly, I prefer it. I struggle with it because I was an engineer and I was a mile deep. So becoming a mile wide is is much more difficult, but I love that. Right. You know, you kind of segued into fear there a little bit. And I know, you know, just just the, the experiences that you've been through, Jen, whether it's from being the one to ask the question when you're, you know, the one in the back of the room, you know, kind of standing out or, just overcoming fear to get out of whatever muck you're in. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Cause like, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to bullet you again here. Like you have some mindset mastery, you know, whether you know it or not, but to, to be able to overcome the situations that you have and, and come out on top and better build back better every single time. Right. I think I may have stolen that from a recent, you might've <laughs> <laughs> a recent campaign, yeah. um, but, but you were able to build back better and fearlessly. Like how, how did you do that? What can you say about, you know, overcoming fear? Well, sometimes overcoming fear is just having your ass handed to you. So I get, I get that question a lot. You know, you get fired, you get fired from your job, you get fired from your marriage, you get fired all of a sudden you're like, well, I might be afraid, but I got no choice. I think the other, which is more relatable is things like when I joined the real estate investor group, which is where I met you. I think I, I think I joined several years before you came, but walking into that 
room at the time, which was big, you know, like 600 people. And they're all talking a language that I don't talk. I'm not saying that that's not intimidating. I think, and it's not really fake it till you make it. Cause I kind of hate that story, but I, but I do think it is, if you don't have the courage, just borrow it. So, you know, Beyonce has a stage name, Sasha Fierce, and she legit puts that on. She puts it on. Nicole Kidman is an extreme introvert. She puts it on. So put on your Sasha Fierce and walk your ass in the room. You know, I just, I think it's really like, there's something to be said about confidence as well. And I have a lot of, I exude a lot of confidence. (laughs) And I think even when I don't have it, and I think it's attractive to people, meaning like, you know, I can talk to her, whatever, but I also lead from vulnerability. I'm also perfectly fine saying, I have no idea what I'm about to ask you, but I know I need to ask. And I'm hoping you'll be gracious enough to explain that to me. That happened to me today in a phone conversation where I just called and just said, point blank, I've been told to connect with you. I'm not really sure how it works. Can you please walk me through it? So I think that's really it, kind of borrowing it, kind of forcing yourself out the door to do something. And I'm, I I know you probably don't believe this, I'm actually an introvert. I'm an outgoing introvert. Yeah, I know you're shaking. I don't believe it at all. (laughs) I know. I know. It takes me, yesterday I had three interviews. One was probably the biggest one I've had so far was Jordan Harbinger. He has Mm. 10 million downloads a month. Yes. 10 million downloads a month. And I was sweating and I had several other interviews. He was quite a mentor to you, wasn't he? You shared his program with me, actually. Yes, yeah. he is. He is a mentor who didn't know me again. So is, <laughs> so is Oprah. I'll go ahead and drop her name too. So she'll show up in the show notes. <laughs> but by the end of the day, it was eight o'clock at night. I ate my dinner. I went in the bedroom. I shut the lights off, you know, because I ha- it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So going to those meetings, everything else, but I just, I just encourage people one foot in front of another, find one person you can connect with. I mean, you and I connected in a parking lot two years before we worked together. We did. And there were many, many, many conversations before we worked together, but really I was just working on you to quit your job. So (laughs) yeah, you worked on me a lot longer. (laughs) (laughs) Really what she told me was put your big girl panties on and get out and go, go invest, you know? So (laughs) I was like, you're, you're such a plant. You are an engineer. You're such a planner and organized. Even this show, everything that you do is so planned. Oh, you chastised me. Yeah. Organizing this show. It took me months to launch it. Right. It took me months to quit my job because I was like analyzing it to a T and I, I didn't follow the plan at all, by the way, I just burned the boat and left, you know, but it's what you have to do sometimes. But there you go. Well, there's that style. And then there's me who's like building my parachute, but I've already jumped out of the plane. So I don't know. That's not a great business model either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we both landed safely on the ground. So they they both work, right? Well, I'd love to get down to the last three questions of the show here. This has been so fun, Jen, to sit on the other side of the table from such a great interviewer that you are. All right. So as we get down to the last few minutes of the show here, I'd love to ask just a couple of questions that we ask every one of our listeners, Jen. What is your superpower as it relates to your business? You know, I didn't think this literally until this morning or last night, but I realized, and this has been true throughout my life, that people, I don't know if there's quality for this or a name for this, but people tell me things about themselves, very intimate, deep things. Some people in the elevator, now with my show, I get emails that are four pages long with everything about themselves. And I'm so honored. And I think it's, I think I give off a level of, you can trust me and I won't judge you. Probably 
And, and that's even if they don't know my story, but if you know my story, you're like, well, she ain't got no place to judge from because of what she's been through. But I really, I'm very honored and humbled by it. It just blows my mind away that people have trusted me with their financial secrets or truths, their, their marital, what's going on with their kids, et cetera. So I, I think that that is a real blessing. I think it occurred to me when I met one of my husband's coworkers at the network who he's been, he's known his entire career. My husband's a former hockey player. So this is a former hockey player as well. And in the first 10 minutes of meeting him, he told me things that Stu had no idea, very deep personal things. And he was like, how'd you get that out of him? I said, I have no idea. So I think that is a superpower and I hope it is until the day I die. If you're getting it out of ex-hockey players, I think it's a pretty good superpower. Yeah. I, I wouldn't envision them being very vulnerable. Yeah. You know, Jen, you have built quite a platform with the Micro Empires podcast and really talking about the notion that you don't have to be wealthy to build wealth. So not only can listeners go listen to your show, which will be in the show notes, by the way, but you're also launching an ebook, are you not? I am. I have an ebook that if my branding person doesn't pull her hair out, I will I will get done. I have a book that's available right now on this site. It's much smaller and I encourage people to do it. It's kind of just a workbook. This one is called You Don't Have to Be Wealthy to Build Wealth, which really helps you walk through your own money culture, kind of assess, ask, and act the three things I feel like you have to do in, in kind of any situation. So I'm that is out. I'm expecting that to be out in April and it'll be free, of course. Of course. And where can people find that, Jen? They can find that at www.micro-empires.com. And you can also follow me on all the platforms. I'm working on the Instagram. I'm an inch deep and a mile wide. Again, I've discovered the TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm intimidated by the TikTok. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the TikTok is fantastic because you can be funny and in one minute spurts and that's what people want. And I love Clubhouse. Clubhouse has been a real, it can be, you have to harness the beast. I agree. It can be a really excellent tool. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, we kind of killed two birds with one stone. So now they know how to get in touch with you. The last thing is what philanthropic causes are you involved in? That's one of our four pillars at Quattro. So I love hearing what everyone's involved in from a, you know, give back perspective. For me, it's really the one-on-one -on -one work. It's so I, well, through all the socials and everything else, you can certainly contact me, but you can write to me. You can be, a, you can ask to be a guest on the show. I'd like to do some round tables and things like that, really problem solving around money, but you can also book time with me for free. And I will walk through everything that whatever you want to ask me, you can ask me, you can book time with me. You know, I limit that amount of time, but you can certainly do it people write me emails. I am doing an investor intake on my website as well. But what I found is that folks will reach out, they'll do the book, kind of walk through like, oh, this is where I am in these steps. And there's some real tools in there. And then they book time with me. They write me an email and we sit down. And some of these phone calls are from the minute I pick up the phone. It's my business is cut in half. I just went through a divorce. I have $50,000. What should I do? Go. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not a financial advisor, but what I am good at is the one-on-one -on -one individual. Let's take a full stock of where you are right now, because what you might need to do is nothing for the moment. You might need to just sit tight. So because I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not trying to make any money off of you on that. So I work on the one-on-one -on -one and I'm also really focused and the platform has shifted in this way as well towards social justice and women's issues because you cannot separate race, wealth, or gender. And we have a divide across all of them, as we all know. 
And as white people at the top of that food chain, it is our responsibility to provide access, to give a hand up, to shine the spotlight on other people of races and everything. It is our job. And I have tried to do it throughout my career, but it'll never be enough. That's how I feel about that. Wow. Jen, if it wouldn't mess up the recording, I'd tell you to do a mic drop right now, but you know, (laughs) that's incredible. I love the passion. So, you know, this has been an incredible interview. Thank you so much for coming on. And based on what you just said, I would like to give you one more chance to, to fill in how people can get in touch with you. (laughs) Yeah. The best way if they want to reach me directly is to email me at jennifer at micro-empires.com. Certainly can reach out at the website micro-empires.com. Follow me on the socials. You know, I'm I'm available and I do get back to folks. It might take me a bit now as I'm getting more and more traction and folks are reaching out more, but I do. And and it really matters to me. I think people feel like, oh, I'm bothering her. She doesn't want to hear from me. I do want to hear from you. And I'm honored when they reach out. So I say that from the bottom of my heart. I really mean it. And she really does, guys. So do it. (laughs) You will not be sorry. (laughs) All right, Jen. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.